Hey Vine family, Happy New Year. This week, Pastor Ray shared a message on the word of the year, open doors. Let's get our hearts aligned with this word and begin declaring that this is a year of open doors. We have service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and we can't wait to see you there. Enjoy this message and remember, just keep coming back. There's people who are told to stay behind doors. The Bible tells us to stay behind the door. We give you guys an example of that. The Bible tells us to shut our doors. And so the Bible says, when you go to pray, shut your door and go inside of your room. There's really interesting things. There's people when God says, I want you to go through a door. And so he tells us, hey, I want you to walk through this door. There's references where God says, hey, I'm opening doors for you. And there's even moments where we can see that God is closing doors. There's even something interesting that I was reading that I, I, I hadn't realized until I was preparing this message. There's moments where God even tells us to worship at doors. Where God says, hey, I want you to stay where you are and worship at this door. And so we see over and over again this theme of doors. And so I want to speak today. The title of my message this morning is Doors, A New Year, and Us. Can you say doors? a new year, and us. And so I want to speak on that, and I want to talk about how doors are significant for us, for us to understand the moments and the times and how God works through doors in our lives. Are you guys with me, guys? So can you give me the next 30 minutes, and can we just kind of open the Bible and look at what the Bible teaches us about this, how this can actually reflect to this theme? Now, I don't think themes are superstitious or mystical, like, hey, we have a theme and this is what's going to happen in your life. But I do think that as a church, our, our leader, who is Pastor Luizu, he's the president of the Vine. He has a vision for what he wants for the Vine International. And as a church, we believe that we can step into this. And if you're part of this church family, you can enter into what God is speaking, into what he said and how we can actually understand and know our open doors as well. Amen, guys? So turn to somebody next to you and say, this is the year of open doors. This is the year of open doors. Turn to the person next to you on the other side and say, this is the year of open doors. It's good. All right. Exodus chapter 12, verse 22. Can you guys go to Exodus chapter 12, verse 22? The year of open doors. Now I'm going to show you guys a few examples and we're going to kind of jump around. And we're going to look at some things and then we're going to kind of try to hopefully bring this together by the end. Exodus chapter 12, verse 22. Uh, 22, not 32. Uh, Exodus 12, 22 says this, And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in blood that is in the basin, and you shall strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out of the door of this house until morning. How many of you guys know where this passage is from? This passage is from the story of Passover. You guys know the story of Passover? How many of you guys have ever heard a story of Passover? Raise your hand if you have. So the story of Passover is when, when the people of God, the Israelites, were all slaves in Egypt. And God is trying to free these people. And Pharaoh has a hard heart. And Pharaoh doesn't want to let the people go. And so God starts sending these plagues. And these plagues, they, they're capped off by the 10th plague. And the 10th plague is that death would come through Egypt and it would kill the firstborn of any family. Now, God, in order to preserve people, he says this, if you want, take a lamb, slaughter the lamb, kill the lamb, put the lamb's blood on the door, 
And when death comes to reach Egypt, it will not touch those who are behind the closed doors. How many of you guys remember this story in The Prince of Egypt? Anybody ever watched that movie, Prince of Egypt? That is one of my favorites. And so that is the story of Passover. And so here's an interesting fact that we see that here's an example that God tells the people of, of God, I want you to stay inside of the door. I don't want you to go out. I want you to stay inside. Everybody say, stay inside. So he says, don't go out the door. So God, he's talking about doors here and he's saying, don't go out the door. Now, Exodus chapter 33, verse eight. Look at Exodus chapter 33, verse eight. We're just gonna jump around, look at some things and, and start building from there. Exodus 33, eight says this. So whenever Moses went out of the tabernacle, now the people are in the desert. And as the people are in the desert, look what the Bible says. Whenever Moses went out of the tabernacle, all the people rose and each man stood at his tent. What? Everybody say door. Stood at his what? His tent door and they watched. Do you guys see this, guys? And so what's going on here? Let me give you guys some context of, of what's going on. God invites Moses into the tabernacle. That's God's tent, okay? And that's where the presence of God is. And Moses is going to go into the tabernacle, into the presence of God, and nobody has seen this before. Now, the presence of God is made manifest in this moment. And so in this moment, there is thunder, there is lightning, there is smoke. The presence of God literally is coming down on earth. And as that is happening, everybody goes to their doors. And what do they do at their doors? They watch at their doors. Everybody here with me, guys. Now, jump to another passage again. Go to Exodus chapter 33, verse 10. Exodus 33, verse 10. You guys have your Bibles with you? Come on, guys. Use your Bibles. It's going to be great. I promise you guys are going to be able to follow along even better than up here. It says, And all people, they saw the pillar of clouds standing at the tabernacle. That's God's tent. And all the people rose and they worshipped each man. Where, guys? Where were they? In his tent door. Do you guys see this with me, guys? And so where were they? At the door. So look. Here's Moses. He's going to the tent. There's a cloud, which is the presence of God. It's the Shekinah glory of God. It's the manifest glory of God. And everybody's watching. Moses goes in. And what do the people of Israel do? They all go to their what? Their doors. And when they get to their doors, what do they do at their doors? This is interesting. I've never had realized this. They all start worshiping at their doors. So picture with me a neighborhood. And you have a whole neighborhood. And in the middle of the neighborhood, there is a house. And the presence of God is in this house and everybody's at the door knowing, hey, somebody is about to go into the house of God, into the presence of God. And so what does everybody do standing at their houses? It picture the neighborhood, right? Everybody's at their, their house door and everybody starts worshiping where? At the door. At the door, everybody starts worshiping God. And so it's interesting that doors sometimes are places for you to stay inside. That doors in the Bible, some places are for you to watch. You just stand at your door and all you do is watch. There's places in the Bible where doors are places for what? For worship. And so you have to notice doors are repetitive in the Bible. And let me teach you something in scripture. Whenever you find a repetitive theme in the Bible, it is important for you to start to try to analyze and understand why is God repeating this? Why is this significant? And so you're going to find things that God really likes and he repeats over and over and over again in scripture. And when you see that, you're going to understand, okay, this has bigger, deeper significance than what I think. So for example, you see in the Bible over and over an animal all the time. You see an animal over and over repeatedly in the Bible. What is the animal? A lamb. 
You see lamb, 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 lamb. All over the Bible, it's repetitive that God is talking about lambs. Now, when you go to look into the lamb, you're going to understand that Jesus was the lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And so there was a deeper meaning in the lambs. Are you guys with me? And so the same thing with doors. And so I was trying to understand, God, the year of open doors, what does that even mean? God, the year of open doors, why is that even significant? And when you look at it and you study in the Bible, you start noticing that doors are a repetitive theme because God has a purpose now. Now, in the Bible, what are doors? Turn to the person next to you and say, what are doors? In the Bible, doors are opportunities. Are you guys with me, guys? They're opportunities. In the doors, what are doors? They're access. Are you guys with me, guys? And even when you close a door, it's a type of access. The Bible says this, when you go to pray, close your door and go into the secret place. Even the closed door is what? A place for you to access God. Are you guys with me, guys? There are things that you can only access in closed doors. Did you know that? When God closes a door, you can access things. Let me tell you something. Do you feel safer with your house door open or with your house door closed? Let's say that it's midnight and it's only you and your family and your friends and you guys are all hanging out. Would you feel safe in your neighborhood if you just left your door wide open so anybody could walk in or if you close your doors? When you go to sleep, do you open your door or do you close your door? So closed doors are also a place of opportunity. Are you guys with me, guys? When, when, when you want intimacy with somebody, one-on-one -on -one intimacy or, or a close, intimate group, what do you need? You need closed doors. You can't open your circle to everybody. Your circle needs to have closed doors. Do you guys understand this, guys? Why? Because that's the place of depth. You can't give everyone depth. You have to only give a certain amount of people depth. Are you guys with me? And so doors in the Bible seem to be opportunities, access. It seems to be place where we have these, these, these opportunities that God presents to us. Now, doors are also the place that we go in and we come out. We go out and we come in. Everybody say, go out and come in. Go out and come in. Now, I love this phrase, um, go out and come in. Because to us, it doesn't really mean much. But in the Jewish culture, whenever a Jewish person says this word, go out and come in. When they say it in this way, go out and come in, this has meaning. When, when a Jew talks to another Jew and he says, I want to go out and come in. It actually has a lot of significance. And if you look in the Bible, this phrase, go out and come in, is actually used a lot. And when we read the Bible just normally, me and you, we look at this and we just read it as a normal phrase. But when you look at the historical context, this meant something. And so in the Bible, how many of you guys know the story of Solomon, for example? How many of you guys know the story of Solomon? Anybody know about Solomon? Solomon is regarded as the wisest human who has ever lived. Even the Queen of Sheba, who was the richest woman at the time, she went to Solomon to seek out wisdom from Solomon. Now, Solomon, he, he's very wealthy. And if you know the story of the Bible, this is how it kind of plays out. David earns God's favor. God really loves David. And so he promises to bless David's kids. David's kid, who is going to be the heir to the throne of David, the king of David, is Solomon. And when Solomon, before he takes the throne, God shows up to Solomon and God asks Solomon, Solomon, I will give you whatever is in your heart. Whatever you want, I'm going to give it to you. What do you want? And I shall give it to you because I love your father so much. I'm going to give you any blessing that you ask. How many of you guys know what Solomon asked for? Okay. Solomon asks for wisdom. Anybody ever heard this story? 
This is the first time. Solomon asked for wisdom. But I, I've, I heard the story when I was a child and my parents taught me this story and, and I always heard, okay, Solomon asked for wisdom. But, but when I grew up and I started to study scripture, I, I noticed that there's more. It wasn't that Solomon just asked for wisdom. There's actually a little bit extra that's in there that we totally forget and we totally miss. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 10. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 10. Picking up the story here, Solomon is asking God, God, uh, uh, I'm sorry, God is asking Solomon, Solomon, what do you want? Solomon, what do you want? You can have anything you want. What is it that you want? What would you tell God if God asked you, what do you want? Like you get, if God showed up to you today, right now, and he said, you can have one thing, anything you want, what would you ask God? Take a second and think about it. That's a crazy question. I, I don't even know what I would ask God, but this is what Solomon asked for. He says, now give me wisdom and knowledge. Now everybody knows this part. So what does Solomon do? He asks a great thing. Solomon is smarter than all of us already. Like some of us would ask for a million dollars. Some of us would ask for, for 10 million, $1 billion. Some of us would ask for houses. Some of us would ask for a wife. Some of us would ask for, ask for kids. Some of us would ask for a future. Some of us would ask for so many different things. And Solomon answers and he says, I want wisdom. Now, this is the smartest thing that you could ask for. Why? Because if you have wisdom, you can pick a wife. If you have wisdom, you can make money. If you have wisdom, you can have cars. If you have wisdom, you can get houses. If you have wisdom, you'll stay close to God. Are you guys with me, guys? So Solomon actually asked for the best thing, but here's what he asked for that's never mentioned, and I've never heard a sermon on this mentioning this. He says this, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before the people. You guys with me, guys? So he doesn't just ask for wisdom and knowledge. He says, give me wisdom and knowledge that I might go out and come in. Remember I just told you guys about going out and coming in? What was this phrase? This phrase in Jewish culture was a symbol of your life. There's a passage in Psalms where God says this, I will bless you in your going out and I will bless you in your coming in. Anybody ever heard that passage? God says, I will bless you. What is he talking about going out and coming in? But in Jewish context, going out and coming in meant your life. And so your life is summarized in this phrase. When, when you say to somebody, hey, you're going out and you're coming in, that means how you live your life. It means how you do your life. It means how you, you, you experience this, this human life that we all have. And so when I say, hey, you're going, you're going out and you're coming in, what am I talking about? I'm talking about his life. When I say God wants to bless you, Justin, and you're going out and you're coming in, I'm saying God wants to bless your life. Is everybody here with me? Amen. Is it, so only some of you guys are you guys with me? Amen. Come on, only some of you guys still. Is, is anybody with me? Can you guys say amen? Good, just want to make sure that you guys are here. And so it's how, it's, it's the life that we have. Now Solomon says, I want wisdom of how to go out and come in. In other words, he's saying, I want wisdom how to live my life. I want wisdom on how I might live my life. But then he adds, I want wisdom how I come, go out and come in before the people. In other words, he's saying, I want wisdom on how to be a king so that I might govern the people and I might go out and come in before the people of God. How can I judge this great people of yours is what he asks the Lord. Everybody here with me. And so going out and coming in, it's in the door. You have a door. That's, that's the whole point of going out and coming in. Going out is here's the door. I go out of the door and I come back into the door. And so when God is giving wisdom to Solomon, he's basically saying, Solomon, when you step out of your house, I'm going to give you wisdom. Solomon, when you come back into your house, I'm going to give you wisdom. In, in, in Hebrew culture, this was also a term for war. 
that when the people went to war, they would say, you are going out. And so everybody knew going out meant going out to war. So basically he was saying, God, when I go to war, give me wisdom. God, when I come back in the house, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom in your presence here and give me wisdom in your presence out there. And it's all surrounding what? A door in our lives. Everybody here with me. So each one of us is given doors. Turn the person next to say, you have a door. Actually, turn the next person and say, you have many doors in your life. All of us are given doors to walk through. And the question is, how do we walk through and which doors do we walk through in our lives? That's the real question. And different people have different doors. And people have access to different places through these doors in their lives. And I'm going to show you in scripture how God is the one who provides these doors. And when I say doors, I mean these opportunities in our lives. Go to Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. This is kind of what I spoke on, but I'm going to go back to there again. Exodus 33, 7, the same passage. The Bible says this, that Moses took his tent and he pitched it outside the camp. He pitched it far from the camp and he called this tent the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that anyone who looked for the Lord went to the tabernacle of meeting outside of the camp. So look, Moses built this tent and this tent had the presence of God in it and it became the place where you meet God. And so it was called the, the, the tent. The word tabernacle means tent. It was called the tent of meeting. And it says that everybody would go to this tent to meet God that Moses established far from the camp. Verse 8. And so it was that whenever Moses went out to this tabernacle, that the people rose up. And this is what we read. They sit at the door. They watch Moses. Verse 9. And it came to pass that when Moses would go in, that the pillar of cloud, this is the kind of glory of God, would come down and it would stay at the door of the tabernacle. And, and the Lord would talk with Moses. So everybody here with me. Verse 11. It says, and all, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as the Lord speaks with a friend. And he would return to his camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, he would not depart the tabernacle. So here's what's going on in this. That Moses set up a tent and Moses can get people to come close to this tent. And when people come close to this tent, they feel the presence of God. They really sense that God is in this place. When, just imagine this with me. There's a place that had so much presence of God that when people get close to the place, they feel the presence of God. And that becomes a meeting place. Imagine having so much of the life of God, the presence of God Almighty here on earth, heaven on earth, that when people come close, they already sense, hey, there's something different. Hey, there's something, there's something, like something is happening in this room. When I sing, when I do, something is breaking through. And that's what's going on with Moses. But only Moses is allowed to go inside of the tabernacle. What does this mean? It means that there are doors that some people can go into that other people cannot go into. There are doors that are for some people that are not the same doors for other people. There are doors that are for, and it's not that God chooses who he wants. It's not that God has favorites. It's, it's the fact that God has created us for specific doors and specific places for our lives. And we are all different in our lives. And God has a purpose differently in each person's life here. We cannot compare our doors. Sometimes our tendency and our desire is to do what? Compare doors. Why does this person have an open door and why do I not have the open door? 
Have you guys ever lived this? Anybody here ever experienced this? Where a person gets an open door at the job, but you don't get the open door at the job? Where, where a person gets an opportunity and you want the same opportunity and you don't get the same opportunity? Anybody here with me? Can you say amen? So all of us, we have different doors and the Bible teaches us that we have different doors. And so even with Moses, Moses had access to God that other people didn't have. I've preached an entire sermon on this, how Moses did things and experienced things in God. The Bible says Moses spoke to God as a what? As a friend. He had doors that other people didn't have. Ever met somebody who has so much closeness, so much ease? They have so much, like, they, they're able to talk to God like it's nothing. And you feel like you have a metal ceiling over your health. But man, that person talks to God and the presence just flows through that person's life. Ever met somebody like that? Man, I want to tell you, there is different doors for our lives. And what you do with your life determines the doors that show up in your life. How you live your life determines what doors are before you. Can I have a good amen? Moses had access to the doors of God. Is everybody here with me? So he has access. You determine the doors before you. And you determine if you're going to walk through them, if you're going to stay where you are, if you're going to wait, if you're going to leave, if you're going to come in, if you're going to worship, you determine the doors that are in front of your life. Now, God, he places specific doors and you decide what you do with those doors, which are opportunities. Everybody here with me? Now, another story, this is another door story, and I'm going to build hopefully with all of this, um, is, is a weird one. This is a strange one that I only really started focusing on really recently. Maybe in the last month and a half, I noticed the story after reading it 30 times. I, I finally read this once, and I was like, man, there's something here. And, and this story is found in the book of Samuel. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, sorry, 2 second, second, second Samuel chapter 11, verse 9. So 2 Samuel Chapter 11, verse 9. If you have your Bibles, I want to share it. Now, let me give you some more context. I'm painting context because I'm grabbing these passages, each one very specific. Um, the context of this passage is this, that there's this man, his name is Uriah. And Uriah has a wife. Her name is Bathsheba. And the story kind of picks up in the life of David. Now, David is one of the greatest heroes in the Bible. David is regarded as a man after God's own heart. Um, David is regarded as a man who did everything that he was called to do in his lifetime. How insane is that? That he said that God told him, like, you did everything you needed to do in your life. Like, you fulfilled your purpose and calling for your existence. And David is an incredible man, but David is also a man, and therefore he sins. And one of the darkest moments of David's life is when he does this insane, horrible, evil sins against these this man right here so what happens one day david is in his house everybody is going to war the whole nation is in war all of the men are in war but david stays back and and david is in his house one day and he sees a woman and he sees her bathing so that's already very strange not 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 cool at all he sees this woman bathing and so he decides i, I want her and so he goes talks to her. They have a relationship. He ends up falling with this woman. This is a married woman. So he ends up like falling with this woman. They, they end up, she gets pregnant. Now, David goes into hiding mode and David wants to hide this pregnancy. He wants to, to try to get out of this situation that he just did in sin. And so what does he do? The first idea he has is he calls back her husband from war. Her husband is in war. So he calls back her husband from war and he says, hey, I want you to take a break. And he basically says this, go home, be with your wife, and then go back to war. 
And so what is he saying in essence? He's trying to hide it. He's basically saying, hey, go sleep with your wife so that you can think that the baby is yours. Everybody here with me, guys. And so the story goes on. I'll tell you the story a little bit later, but, but, but the story goes on that he doesn't do it. And David ends up killing this man to hide everything that's going on. God exposes everything to David. David bitterly repents, falls on his face, puts ashes on his head, and he responds to the sin. And, and this is a story of how we are all men. We will all sin, but how we respond to sin determines if we will keep on walking and moving. That the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up eight times and keeps on going. Amen, guys? But picking up the story of Uriah that I never noticed, here's a part. Look what it says here. That when David gets Uriah from the war, from the battlefield, that he gets him and he says, Uriah, go home and sleep with your wife. Uriah doesn't go. Look what happens. The Bible says Uriah, instead of going home and sleeping with his wife, which is what David wanted to do, it says Uriah slept at the door of the king's house. So he falls asleep in the door of the palace and he doesn't want to go home to be with his wife. Why does he do this? So if you read um, chapter 11, verse 9, it says, He slept at the door with all of the servants of the Lord. He did not go down in his house. Verse 10. You know verse 10 for me, Hafa? So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Why did you not, why did you come not come from a journey? Why did you not just go to your house? Why didn't you sleep with your wife? And this is what's really been catching my attention recently. Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and of Judah are dwelling in tents, and my Lord Joab. And the servants of my Lord are encamped in open fields. How should I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As I live and your soul lives, I will not do this thing. So what does he say? He says, everyone is at war. He says, all the people are out there in battle. And you know what he says that's most significant here? He says, the ark of the Lord is in battle. Do you know what the ark of the Lord symbolized? The presence of God. So you know what he says? The presence is in battle. The presence of God is in battle. The people of God are in battle and you want me to just eat and you want me to just drink and sleep with my wife while we're all in battle. Do you notice this reveals to us that David, he's obsessed with the presence of God. But in this moment, he didn't go after the presence of God. In this moment, he didn't go to battle with the presence of God. In this moment, he didn't have the position that Uriah had. Uriah said, man, I'm not going to eat while the people are in battle. I'm not going to eat while the presence of God is over there. I'm not going to abandon the presence of God to stay here while everybody is over there. And what does Uriah do? Exactly that. So David, he forgot the presence. He left the presence and he forsook the presence. Are you guys with me, guys? He left it over there. And that's why he fell. When we forsake the presence of God, that's when we fall. When we get distance from the house of God, that's when sin comes knocking at our door. When we stay away from the Lord, that's when things start to happen. And that's what happened with David. He let everyone go to battle, the presence go to battle, and he stayed away from it. And that's why everything was happening in his life. That's why he's in this whole situation, because he forsook the presence of God. Now, again, what's the story? Uriah slept at the door because he would not. So the door is a place of sleeping sometimes place of remaining. Uriah slept at the door because he would not go home in there. Is everybody here with me, guys? So the door is significant. The door is a place where we need to know what we're doing. The door is a place where we need to understand that if we don't deal with the doors correctly, if we don't respond to the doors correctly in our lives, we will 
fault. We will make mistakes. We will not experience what God has. But if we do respond to the doors correctly, we will have everything the Lord has for us. We will experience the joy of the Lord, the peace of the Lord, the life of the Lord in our lives. Are you guys with me, guys? Now, now I've given you guys a lot of like, like, um, you know, like types of examples and, and things that are kind of symbolic about the door. Let me give you guys some more solid biblical structure about doors found in the New Testament. Go with your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. It says this, this is Paul speaking, and this is what Paul says. He says, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So Paul is talking about how he's had these new opportunities to preach the gospel. Paul is talking about how he's had these new opportunities to reach new places that he's never had. And what does Paul call these opportunities? What does he say right there? He says, a great and effective door. So Paul calls opportunities doors in the New, in the new Testament. Is everybody here with me? Keep on going. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. Do you guys see this, guys? Again, that's Paul. What is he saying? He's saying, when I got to Troas, God opened up an opportunity. So what does this tell us? That God opens opportunities. What does this tell us? That God opens doors in our lives. That this is spiritual. This is not natural. That doors are actually given to us by God. That God is directly interacting with us. Amen, church. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. It says this, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open us a door for the word. Do you guys see this, guys? So it's not only that God opens doors. You can pray for God to open doors. Do you guys understand this, guys? So it's not just that God just does it. You can ask God, God, I want open doors. God, I want to have a door to walk in through. God, I want a door so that I can step into this part of my life. You can say, God, I want a door in my emotional life. God, I want a door in my professional life. God, I want a door in your, my ministerial life. God, I want a door to get to new places, new altitudes, new heights in my life. God, I want a door. Can everybody say this with me? Can you say, God, I want a door. And you insert whatever door you want there. But look what Paul is saying. Look, I was praying and I asked God to open this door for me. Is everybody here with me, guys? And can I tell you something? God doesn't respect human doors. If you're taking notes, I want to show you biblically that God, he's not into playing games with humans. Since humans play games, God doesn't play games. Like humans will be like, do this to get this door. Humans will be like, earn this to do this. Humans will be like, no, I have preference with this person. I have favorites with, with this person. No, humans will do that. Humans will, 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 will manipulate. Humans will, will try to do things like that. But can I tell you something? God does not have respect for human doors. When God opens a door, nobody can close it. When God closes a door, nobody can open it. Let me show you this. I'm going to show you both physically and spiritually this. Go to John chapter 20, verse 19. Let me just show you physically that God doesn't respect doors. John chapter 20, verse 19, it says, And that same evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, everybody say the doors were shut. The disciples were assembled, and they had fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be with you. Do you know what's going on here? 
all the disciples have just seen Jesus crucified. They've just seen Jesus die. And they're all thinking, we're next. We're next. The Jews are going to kill us. They kill Jesus. They're going to kill us. And they're all scared and they're quaking in their boots. And so what do they do? What do you do when you're scared? You lock the door. And so they lock their door. Do you guys see this, guys? They locked all their doors. They shut all their drawers. And what does, it, what does Jesus do? He comes through the walls, not respecting any doors. And he just stands right in the middle of them. Can I tell you something? God doesn't respect doors, human doors. God, when he opens a door, he opens the door. And when he closes a door, he closes the door. That's a physical door. Now, let me give you guys some more spiritual doors for you guys to get this. Acts chapter 5, verse 19. Acts chapter 5, verse 19. Are you guys with me? Everybody still with me? Amen? If you want to go up, you can go up already. Acts 5, 19. Look what it says. This is Paul. The, the, the disciples, they're, in, they're locked up. They're in jail. And they can't preach the gospel. The Jews have locked them up and they've said, look, we're going to stop them from preaching the gospel. Look what the Bible says. But at night, an angel of the Lord came and he opened the what? The prison doors. And he brought them out. Look, God opens physical doors. Are you guys with me, guys? Men can lock doors. God will send an angel to open doors in our lives. People can think, oh, I'm going to lock the doors for you. But can I tell you something? Even if people try to lock the doors for you, if you have God on your side, he will open the doors for you. Are you guys with me here this morning? Is this good so far? Okay. So look, go to Acts 12.6. Acts 12.6. Acts 12.6 says this, And when Herod was about to bring him out, the night Peter was sleeping, he was bound and he had chains, and he was between two soldiers, and the guards were keeping the door what? Shut. Look at this. This is extra. As my wife would say, they have two chains. They don't have one chain. They have two chains. They're sleeping between two soldiers. So they got one soldier here, one soldier here. They have two chains on their feet and they have a locked door. Are you guys with me, guys? This is not, this is maximum security. Is everybody here with me, guys? This is maximum security. Locking them totally up. Next verse. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and the light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side, and he told him, Get up. And his chains fell off his hands. God goes and opens the door, puts both of the guards to sleep, and they walk out. Can I tell you, even when the devil, when hell, when anybody, even when humans try to withstand you and close the door, they can put maximum security on your doors, God can still open doors in your life. Your past can't close the doors for your life. Your mistakes can't close the doors for your life. When God wants to open doors in your life, he will open doors in your life and nothing will stop those doors from being open in your life. Are you guys with me here? Can I tell you an open door can seem like a disaster, but it's actually a blessing. Acts chapter 16, verse 27. Acts 16, 27. Carry Bibles. I want to tell you how an open door can seem like a disaster, but it's actually a blessing. It says, now the keeper of that prison, remember the prison. Now he's the, he's the warden. He's the man in charge of the whole jail. And it says that when he found out that the doors were all open, he panics 
and he starts to freak out and he says, oh my gosh, Rome is going to kill me. My boss is going to murder me. All of my prisoners are gone. These guys are, are terrible humans and they're all escaping. I'm going to die. And so what does he do? Instead of saying, I'm going to let somebody kill me, he takes out his sword and he says, I messed up. I can't do this anymore. He's suicidal and he's about to stab himself in the stomach. It says he was about to kill himself. He's suicidal because of his mistakes. Because of a closed door that was opened, he became suicidal. But look at verse 28. I think this is wild. But Paul called him with a loud voice, said, do not harm yourself, we're all here. Verse 29. Then he called for a light and he ran in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Verse 30. And he brought them out and said, what must I do to be saved? And they said, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your house. Verse 32. And they spoke with him the word of the Lord to him and to all of those who were in his house. And that same night, by the night hours, they were washed and immediately all of his family was baptized. Can I tell you something? Here's a closed door that got open and it was a disaster. This guy, he saw the doors open and closing and he said, this is a disaster. He looked at the situation of his life and he said, man, this closed door is, is, is going to mess up my life. This open door is going to mess up my life. And he said, I'm suicidal. I can't deal with this. I cannot deal with this. I can't deal with the closed doors. I can't deal with the open doors. I'm going to lose my life. And so he literally gets to the point where he's taking out the sword. He's about to kill himself because of the doors. What does God do because of the doors? What does God do? He uses those opportunities of those doors to reverse it completely. And from a suicidal man, came a man who found Jesus and not just found Jesus, led his entire family to Jesus and not just led his family to Jesus, baptized his entire family. From a suicidal situation, because of the doors and the mistakes he made, came eternal salvation for him and for his family. That's the God that we serve. How many of you guys are God will take all of it. He'll turn it completely upside down. Because of doors. I'm going to be close with this. Revelation chapter 3 verse 7. Revelation chapter 3 verse 7. The Bible says this. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia I write. These things says he who is holy. He who is true. He who has the key of David. Who opens and no one shuts. And shuts and no one opens. What is it talking about? Doors. Can I tell you something? It says this, that God has the authority to open doors that nobody can open and to close doors that no one will open and to open doors no one will close. God has the authority to step into your life and say, doesn't matter if he said this, doesn't matter if she said this, doesn't matter if your boss says this, doesn't matter if the person in charge says this, doesn't matter if people curse you. Doesn't matter if people say it will all not work out. Doesn't matter if people don't want to open doors for you. Doesn't matter if you are with God, he will open doors and no one can close and he will close doors that no one can open in your life. He has the key. But you know what I think is most interesting about this is that this key has a name. And this key, the name of this key is the key of who? David. Now, this is one of the biggest mysteries in the Bible to me 
is why Jesus's authority to open doors and to close doors is named after David. But when you study the life of David, you realize that David tapped into a level of authority, a level of life, a level of presence. And when you study his life, you have to look at his priorities. You have to look at what was essential to David. What was what was key? What was number one for him? Because whatever was number one for him unlocked an authority over his life that was so great, was so incredible that he was able to open doors and close doors. And it was so such a great authority that Jesus Christ himself calls the authority that he carries. Jesus Christ himself, God in the flesh, calls his authority the key of David. What did David do? What did David tap into? Now, this is this is my life's work, my life's study, is to try to find out what David tapped into to unlock this in his life. But I can tell you one of the things that's most obvious in all of his story is that he valued and prioritized the presence and the house of God more than anything else. He valued the ark and the life of God more than all of his life. And this prioritization of God and his kingdom allowed him to walk in an authority that no one else walked in. The prioritization of the presence of God. Let me just read a few verses to close. If you can go with me to Psalm 132. I didn't write it down here, but I have it in my head. Psalm 132. Psalm 132. David writes this, verse 4. He says, I, I will not give sleep to my eyes. And I will not give slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah, and we found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go into his tabernacle and let us worship at his footstool. David writes this, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. David writes this, this one thing I seek and I will dedicate my life to dwell in the house of the Lord all my days and to gaze upon his face. David's priority was the presence of God. David's priority, the central thing of David's life was God and his kingdom. It was to establish his kingdom. David so loved God's kingdom that God said, if I have to choose a king, I'm gonna choose the one who will make a kingdom that looks the most like mine, I will choose David. Because he loved the Lord. Because I tell you that authority here on earth comes from priority, prioritizing the authority of heaven. Open doors here on earth will come when you start to value the Lord above all things and his presence of all things. When you are in line with the heavenly things, the things in the spiritual realm, things will happen here on earth. You will be able, the Bible says, to bind things here, which means to tie up things and to loosen things here. That means that when you speak, things can be stopped. And when you, when you speak, things can be opened. That means that when you look at a door, you can say to the door open. And when you look at a door, you can say to the door close. Why? How do we go into this authority? When we prioritize the life and the presence of God above all things in our lives. When it becomes the most central thing, when you're not worried about, that's why Jesus, he put it this way. This is how Jesus put it. He, he said this, if you focus on the kingdom, all other things I'll take care of. Take care of the kingdom and I'll take care of all the other things. In other words, prioritize heaven and I'll take care of your life. 
I'm not talking about being irresponsible. I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about being irresponsible. I'm saying your king, the kingdom of God in your job, the kingdom of God in your marriage, the kingdom of God where he is. Are you obedient to God? Do you trust God? Do you follow him? Do you go where he goes? Do you stop when he stops? When he closes a door, do you respect the closed door? Do you keep trying to go through it? When he opens the door, do you walk through it? Listen, look what we just read. There are times when Jesus says, stop at the door. There's time when Jesus says, go through the door. There's time when Jesus says, worship at the door. There's time when Jesus says, sing at the door. There's time when Jesus says, watch from the door. There's time when Jesus says, stop. There's time when Jesus says, go. We have to have the wisdom of going out and coming in. We have to have the reality of heaven. And when we have the reality of heaven, we will have the doors open here, the authority of David here on earth. This is good for anybody else. I want to tell you, this is in the key of David. You have this authority. Can I tell you something? I want to invite the worship team up. Can I tell you something like, look, you have access. You have access to God. If there's one door that's never going to be shut, it's the door into the throne of grace. Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ he used a key that no one will ever be able to shut. And with this key, he gave you space and he gave you authority to go into the throne of grace. And what's the throne of grace? The throne of grace is this. Doesn't matter your mistake. Doesn't matter your past. Doesn't matter what you've done yesterday, today. Doesn't matter what you did this morning. Doesn't matter what you're going to do tomorrow. Doesn't matter any of that. The Bible says this, that by the blood of Jesus Christ, we have a way. He made a way for us. And this way for us is that we can access the heart of God, that we can know him, that we can get to know him, that we can love him, that we can walk with him, that we can see him in his face, that we can experience the presence of God. Jesus is the only God in this universe who is not counting your sins against you. He's not waiting for a do and don't list what he wants is relationship with you and he's willing to give his life for relationship with you is there anybody here with me you have access to the throne of grace you have access with your mistakes how can a man like david be considered a man after god's own heart because he had access in the throne of grace he knew god he writes this in Psalms. He says, you will not hold my iniquities against me. Now, no one ever could teach that because it was in the Old Testament. But, but somehow David understood that God would not hold his iniquities against him. Why? Because he knew God. People who know God, people who walk with God, are obedient to God. And the Bible says this, learn, it is better to be obedient than to be sacrificed. <laughs> like you could offer up all the sacrifices. God says, just be obedient. Just learn my love. Just learn to trust me. Just learn to walk with me. Just learn to walk, work with me. Just, just learn to watch how I do it. Like, learn this. It's, it's simple. This is not a, a heavy burden on you. It's not that you have to have everything together and perfect. It's simple. Will you trust me and walk with me every single day of your life? Will you give me all that you have? And so today we have access into the throne of grace. We have access to make his presence the central thing. How do you make the central thing? You learn. How do you make it the central thing? You get disciple. How, how do you make it the central thing? You behold. What you behold, you'll become like. What you behold, you'll become like. Like if you only behold people wearing a certain type of clothes, you're going to start wearing that type of clothes. If you only behold cars, you're going to want a car. I don't know why Instagram algorithms 
are the death of me because Instagram algorithms discover what I like and soon I have a thousand different hats, a thousand different shirts, and I'm wanting to buy all of them. I'm like, bro, how is this even possible? But can I tell you what makes me want to buy those things? Because they're in front of me all the time. And I'm beholding them. And the more I behold them, the more I become like them. It's the same thing with God. And this is what the whole Christian life is about. It's about us as Christians beholding Jesus and becoming more like him every single day. But that means trusting him. That means walking away from things that we think. It, mean, it means that there's going to be closed doors and we're going to have to walk away from those closed doors. It means that there's going to be open doors. We're going to have to go into those open doors. It means that we're going to walk in this until we have the authority to open any door and close any door. But until that time, we trust in what God's doors are. And when we understand, we pray. We say, God, I want new doors. And we say, God, let me be obedient to the closed doors. Let me see the closed doors. And let me be obedient to the closed doors. There's doors. Now this is the year of open doors. So we're believing that this year, there's going to be open doors in front of you. And you're going to have the wisdom just like Solomon to say, I'm going to walk into all of those open doors. I'm going to know how to go out and I'm going to know how to come in. I'm going to know how to recognize there's an open door. I'm going to be able to recognize there's a closed. I'm going to be able to recognize this is a moment. I'm going to be able to recognize this is not the moment. I'm going to be able to recognize it's time for me to stay at the door. I'm going to be able to recognize time for me to worship at the door. I'm going to be able to recognize it's time for me to leave the door. I'm going to be able to recognize it's time for me to stay at the door. It's time for me to be able to act. We're going to have the same wisdom as Solomon. So here's what I pray for you in the year of open doors, that you would recognize the doors in your life and that you would respond to them clearly and with an open heart.